there is an individual here and they're not all the same and there has to be an accounting for the differences among individuals we're talking about players in sport we could be talking about employees in business you see if you lose the individuality in organizational life you lose the life in organizations Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure, the show for successful people and for those who want to become successful, the only show that reveals the true nature of success. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr., and today I bring you Dr. Tom Perrin. I can't believe episode 400 is coming up, 400 episodes of Success Through Failure. All right, so here's what we're doing. We're doing a promotion to promote that episode, we wanted to get everybody to listen to that episode, all of your friends and, and people you know. So here's what we're doing. We're going to give away 10 Success Through Failure t-shirts. These are brand new, hot off the presses. They're pretty sweet. 10 Success Through Failure t-shirts are going to be given away. Here's how you enter to win one. All you have to do is go to any of my social media profiles, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and you will find a post. It's pinned to the top. All you've got to do is like the post. Make sure you're following me and then just tag three friends in the comments. That's it. Like the posts, follow me, tag three friends in the comments, and you will get entered into the drawing. If you want to have a bonus entry, go ahead and share the post as well. So that will give you two entries into the contest. Listen, I'm not a huge influencer. I'm not Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or something like that. So you probably have a fair chance of winning a t-shirt by doing either one of these. If you do both of these, you double your chances. So again, go to any of my social media profiles, go to Jim Harshaw, just Google Jim Harshaw or Jim Harshaw Jr. And you'll find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, find that pinned post and follow me, like that post, and then tag three friends who you think would like the Success or Failure podcast, tag them in the comments and you'll be entered to win, share it. You get a second entry. Here we go. First ever giveaway of the Success Through Failure t-shirt. Check it out. Thank you. I've known Dr. Tom Perrin for about 25 years now. He actually helped me get over the hump and fix my mindset when I was an All-American wrestler at the University of Virginia. Our work together then led me to becoming an All-American, getting on the podium at the national championships. And he's been a friend and mentor ever since. Several years ago, we struck up a business partnership and now we're in business together. Tom has an amazing history of not only this kind of work, working with companies and, and corporate leaders, but also in coaching. He was actually a Division I basketball player himself. He was at the University of Vermont. He played there, became a Division I coach at the University of Virginia. He's part of a, a very successful run there as the assistant coach at UVA. Uh, while he was at UVA, he got his PhD in sports psychology, and then he moved into sports psychology work full-time, uh, as well as business consulting. And really, it's the same thing, right? It's maximizing your performance and helping people identify who they are, how they show up in their role and, and, and performing the best in their role. In the sport world, he's worked with some of the, really the biggest names in sport, NHL head coaches, NBA head coaches and teams. He's worked with Gino Ariema. If you know that name, uh, if you're familiar with college sports at all, you, I'm sure you do know that name. He's the head coach of UConn women's basketball. Uh, they're arguably the greatest collegiate sports program of all time. They won 11 national championships. Tom has been Gino's right-hand man for a long, long time. On the mindset and performance side, Tom has worked with Shaka Smart 
who is probably most famous for taking VCU to the final four years ago. He was the head coach at Texas, now the head coach at Marquette. They had an amazing season this year, just ended in the March Madness and Basketball National Tournament. Tom's also, he mentions in this episode, he worked with Bruce Arena. Bruce is a legendary men's soccer coach. They won five national championships at the University of Virginia. He went on to coach DC United. He went on to coach the U.S. men's national team, and he's coached some of the greatest soccer players in U.S. history, Claudio Reyna, Tony Miola. I mean, these guys were under Bruce Arena's watch, and the guy who was guiding Bruce was the guy you're about to hear from right now. But Tom and I do a lot of work together consulting with CEOs, C-suite leadership teams at companies, as well as with individuals in my coaching program in Reveal Your Path. Tom's a great friend. Uh, He's a great business partner. This is the first of hopefully several conversations we're going to have with Tom here because there's so much ground to cover here in the realm of leadership and performance and how to perform your best day in and day out, how to be a better leader yourself and how to lead your organization, you know, whether your organization is your family or your company or your team, uh, regardless of, of where you're at, whether you're at the top or the bottom or somewhere in between, learning how to lead from wherever you're at. All right, so let's get into it. My first conversation on this podcast with my good friend, Dr. Tom Perrin. Tom, you've been at this for what, 30 years of consulting experience. What, in your opinion, is leadership really about? I would say leadership is really about two things, others, other people, and future. And and what I mean by that is leadership is really about creating a better future for others. Now, that could be this afternoon. That could be this coming week. That could be uh, over the coming season, for example, if you were you know, working with or coaching an athletic team. It could be the coming fiscal year. It could be 10 or 15 years out, right? It could be trying to make a better future for mankind. But it's really about what you do for others in creating a better future in that regard. And so what I would say then is things like influencing people, motivating people, inspiring people that so many people refer to and talk about with leadership are really all in service to that, right? The whole idea of of inspiring and motivating and, and leading people is in service to creating a better future for them in some form. I thought leadership was about me. Isn't it just about me, the guy, the, the person, the leader? Well, it's about you in service to doing that. Yeah, I guess what to think of leadership is like, okay, it's not about me. I feel like it's about me. You know, everybody's looking at me. I have to be the person. But when you switch it from like, like you just did, it's about others. I think that really takes the pressure off. It's, it's, it's not about me. It's about empowering, guiding, serving others. Yeah. And, and so it's really a, just a matter of how you want to look at it. what I would say is, well, I think you're right. I think it's very much about you in service to creating a better future for others. You see, this leads us to the fact that you you can't make assumptions about that. And it gets very complex at that point because, you know, people are human beings, right? And so let's say leaders, whoever in whatever form and are impacted by the experiences and circumstances of their lives. So it's no guarantee that one can actually you know, follow through on the better future they're trying to create, right, or sustain themselves. This is the challenge, right? I mean, it's one thing to have a, an admirable aim, an admirable intent, right? I want to 
make this organization more successful. I want to help these individuals thrive and grow and succeed. But doing that is a far cry from the simple objective itself, right? It very much involves then your ability as a leader to be able to make that happen. And there's a lot of complexity in that and nothing to be taken for granted. Why is it so hard? Is it the complexity of people that makes leadership so hard? Well, people are impacted by their lives, right? And so, you know, sometimes we we think of leaders as if somehow they're, you know, superhuman. And we make assumptions that they'll be able to do what it is they aim to do. And, and my point is, you know, from my work, and you know this from the, the work we've done together, Jim, that people are impacted by the complexity of their lives, the circumstances and conditions of their lives. And so you might start off with a really good intent for an organization, but making that happen over time and sustaining that is a very different question. And, and so the, the, the challenge really then is, you know, this, this sort of backs up into a lot of the work that you and I are doing, which is focusing on the ability of the individual in leading an entity whether it's a, an organization, manufacturing, banking, healthcare, highly competitive sport, to really do that, to, to sustain that, to make that happen, right? So it's not just a good idea. So how does that impact your approach? Like when you're working with, you know, whether it's an elite coach, a professional team, or an executive team at a company? Well, I, I put a lot of emphasis on assessing and figuring out how well suited an individual is to do what it is they're trying to do. It's not automatic that a person who says, I want to create a better future for this organization, this team, this individual, is automatically well suited to do that and make that happen. You know, the idea to do something is one thing. The ability to execute and and implement and bring that to fruition is very different. And so all I'm trying to say is, you know, this is very much in the work that, that we're doing with some of our clients is that we're not making assumptions about where people are in regard to what it is they're trying to do. We're actually trying to figure that out. Do you see? I mean, it's very easy to go from, boy, I'd like to create a, a better future for this program that I'm taking over. It could be an athletic program, right? A head coach in basketball, for example. And to assume then that that individual will automatically be able to do that, right? That they've been hired to do it. It's what they'll be able to do. There's a lot of complexity and a lot of variables in between the idea of that and, and, the, and the fruition of that and the completion of that. Yeah, I think a lot of leadership development is formulaic. It's, you know, here's what a great leader is. Here's what a great leader isn't. And if you don't fall into this mold then you better change who you are because this is the mold of a great leader. But you don't see it that way, Tom. You know, you're looking at the whole person. Like, who are you? What experiences are you bringing to this? What characteristics do you have? And how are those going to help you? And where are those going to create blind spots for you? So when you hear about, you know, some of these formulaic versions of leadership development, what do you think? And and how's your approach different? I don't pay a lot of attention to them. Uh, that, that's just from my experience. The question that I ask is, how does this person lead? Right? How is this person going to do it? That sounds pretty simple, but I, I'm just saying there's a lot of complexity in that. Yeah, well, everyone's different. Like, There's so much complexity to an individual. They all show up with different wiring and different experiences, different 
education, different background, and everything else that goes into who a human being is and who they're going to show up as as a leader. Now, what we know is if we think of an individual who's trying to take an, an organization from point A to point B, right, if they're trying to create a better future for this organization, they're going to need certain things to do that, right? I mean, they're going to need to be able to, to, to envision a future and, and to lay the groundwork for how that happens, right? How are we going to get from point A to point B when we actually have to, to implement that? We're not just going to make one heroic jump, right? Uh, we're going to have to sustain. We're going to have to rally people. There's a, there's a lot of needs in doing that. But the point that I'm making is, I mean, there are different ways to do that. I think the danger is when you you start to create a sort of a narrow box of how people have to do it and what it means to be a leader and and start to you know, compare everybody against that, you can start to exclude people who can actually be quite successful and effective in their way, doing it their way. I think this is really the art of what we're talking about here today is who are you and how do you lead, right? How do you make that happen? Are there people who you think are overlooked for leadership positions that maybe are more qualified than the hiring person may think they are, right? And then also maybe vice versa. Do you think there are people who are put into leadership positions because we think, you know, this person is assertive, so they're going to be a great leader. Do you see that happening inside of organizations? Yeah, my experience is that the latter, which you just described, the nice distinction you just made, is much more common. And that is that what people do is they have a notion of what leadership should look like. They project that onto someone. If they see that in someone, then they make an assumption that they, they will do it. They should be able to do it. They would be a good leader. And that might be a good starting place, but it's a far cry from whether or not that'll work. You see? So it's, it's much more common from my experience that people say, I see something in him. And so I, I know he or she will be a good leader or they're the ones that we should you know, promote or they're the ones for succession. And, and then the danger comes when you just sort of conclude that without then staying with the process of really, you know, sort of assessing that and, and making sure. So. so what's the focal point of your work then? You know, you see people coming from all of these different backgrounds and experiences and with all these different characteristics. So when you're working with an individual or a team or an organization or a coach or whatever it is, what's the, what's the focal point? I mean, what are you really focusing on in your work? Well, I think the consulting model is always this. This is what you, know, you and I are doing together. It, it's fundamentally, what's the outcome? Where is a person now in relation to that or an organization? And then what do they need to go from sort of point A to point B, right? I mean, to be frank, as simple as it is, it's never not that. It's always what does a person want? What does an organization want? What does a team want? Where are they now in relation to that? Are they close? Are they far away? What's the gap there, right? And then what's needed to get them from where they are to where they need to be, right? From sort of a future point, right? And that really is fundamentally the, the, the basic consulting model that, that is at the center of, of what we're doing with people. I and mean, that applies to an individual, a team, an organization, you see? I would say that, though, in, in, in regard to that, that the work I've done, the work you and I are doing together is has a very systemic focus to it. I mean, we're trying to create an alignment 
from top to go, the bottom organizationally, right? The fundamental point is this. We're trying to set it up so the organization, the system can fix the problem. So it's dependent on us because at, at some point in time, like we always say, we're going, we're going home. We, we don't live here. And so the question is, how can you set up the solution, the fix long-term systemically? And that really takes a full alignment from top to bottom of people and, and resources and needs and everything else. It, it, it's very complex, but you know, easy to say, but complex to do. You've talked a couple of times now, you've used the word sustainable and systemic. How do you, how do you do this? When you go into an organization, they bring you in or you and I in, like we've been working together for a while now. How do we make sure it's sustainable and systemic and not a half-day leadership experience or something that's done once a year or a half-day here, or a few hours here and there? How do you make it systemic and sustainable and not superficial? Well, by being very thoughtful, very thorough, not getting ahead of yourself, right, as a consultant, not rushing to judgment, and fundamentally starting top-down, which is, you know, the, the centerpiece of our work is sort of C-suite down. It's founders, business owners, presidents, CEO, their leadership teams, and, and sort of cascading down throughout the entire organization. Because, I mean, the reality is if you, if you don't get this implemented and really internalized, we're talking about change, right? Internalized at a top level uh, such that it will cascade downward. It's not going to sustain itself, right, when you leave. Do you ever see leaders who say, come on in, guys, we need your help. They need your help. I don't so much, but they do. You know, they feel like they want to develop their team, but they're thinking, listen, I'm good, but my team needs fixed. Or these other leaders over there need fixed, but not me. Absolutely. And that's classic right there, what you just said, right? And so when, when you hear them, then when you hear that, then you know that's the problem. That the problem is them, not me. And so, and so the, the point I would say then at that point, the first thing you're working with is problem is not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, I mean problem can tell you where you need to look and what needs to be changed. But, but the point is, it first needs to be our problem. And, and, and fundamentally, quite frankly, if you have a really responsible leader at the top of an organization, and something's not right, then they're saying, this is on me, right? This starts with me, right? That's what you're looking for. If you, if you have that, then you can do a lot of things. If you don't have that, you can't do much until you get it, you see? You've worked with a lot of elite coaches in sports over the past 30 years. Is there a common theme among them, whether it's sports or business? Is there a commonality? We've talked about the complexity of individuals and the differences, but do you also see commonalities among successful leaders who you work with? I mean, I would say every coach has their system. Now, not to get off track, but it could be that their system is the fact that they don't really have a defined system, right? That's a problem, okay? But, but all of the good ones have a system. I mean, Tony Bennett has a system, and Bruce Arena has a system, and Shaka Smart has a system, and et cetera, et cetera. That is the structure. It's the organization that enables a collective entity to work, right? Everything is, is built around that. Now, the point that I would make in response to your question is the fact that what I think great coaches do, from my experience, is the systems are not all the same. Quite, in fact, they might be quite different. But what, what all the great coaches do is they account for the individual within the system. They make an account for 
who the individual is inside of the collective framework that we have to have. I mean, understand, the operation is not working if we don't have something that we all do together, right? I mean, all of these coaches are moving small armies of people along. Even a basketball program's got upwards of like, you know, 50 to 100 people around every day that are making this thing go, never mind a football program. And so it, it needs a collective framework to do that. But inside of that, if you're not accounting to some degree for the individuality of players that make that up, this just becomes work. And, and, and as a coach, you become a boss. So my point would be that the, the distinction is in the difference between stuffing everybody into my system versus fitting people into my system. That distinction, I think, is very significant. It, it's the difference between, you know, everybody has to conform to the system. Well, there's certainly an element of that. But, but the idea of fitting people to fit the system is a very different approach and a different outlook. It's the idea that there is a person here, right? There is an individual here, and they're not all the same. And there has to be an accounting for the differences among individuals. We're talking about players in sport. We could be talking about employees in business. You see, if you lose the individuality in organizational life, you lose the life in organizations, it is not my experience that organizations that really thrive, where there's real culture, you know, where you would hear that it's a great place to work, you never find that unless individuals feel uh, accounted for based on who they are, as opposed to I'm, I'm simply one of a number and a, and a robot in a, in a process here. I remember when I had a huge epiphany in terms of leadership and coaching when I heard Dan Gable speak. So in my world of wrestling, Dan Gable is on the Mount Rushmore of coaches. Actually, he's he's one of the greatest college coaches of any sport of all time. And the urban legend out there was always that Dan Gable just pushed all of his wrestlers so hard until they puked, you know, or the brink of puking in every single practice, every single workout. And that's why they won so many national championships. And sure, like they worked hard, but that actually wasn't the secret to his success, I learned. What I eventually learned from hearing him speak and hearing people who wrestled with him or coached under him, what I learned about Dan Gable is that his secret sauce is the fact that he actually treated everybody as an individual. He didn't treat them all the same. He understood the individuals and he understood their wiring and he knew that he could walk over to one guy and just give him a certain look and he'd walk over to another guy and this guy, he needed like a five minute talking to and maybe in a different tone than the next guy. Everybody was totally different and he knew that and he approached every individual as exactly that, as an individual. And that sounds like what you're saying here, Tom. Yeah, it, it's the art of both, right? And Bruce Arena was very good at this. You know, I was on the phone with Shaka Smart last night talking with him and I think he's very, very good at this, which is it is, it is both that we have to have something collective. We have to have a collective structure that we conform to or this doesn't work. What do you mean by this? You talk about this system and structure. Like, is this something that you see leaders really working on and developing? Are they scripting it out? Do they have a plan or does it kind of just happen? Talk to us more. Tell us more about this system. You have some of these guys who are more explicit about it. I would say more planful and really could articulate this. Shaka Smart is like this. He's a planner you know, he could probably walk into a room right now and sort of lay out the, the principles of what he does. You know, I, I think Tony Bennett could do this. And then for others, it's more, I would say, in their head. 
it's it's probably not quite as formalized. They it's more of that what they do it than they can articulate it. But the point that I'm trying to make is it, it doesn't work without that collective organized structure. But inside of that, we also have to have uh, people as employees or players, for example, who who feel like you know I matter as an individual. I'm understood as an individual, and this is. The way I would, I use these terms a lot in my work in sport, and that is it, what you're doing just can't, can't simply be a tell strategy. It's also got to be drawing out of people. And, and that's not just something that is a, a nice sounding idea. No, I, I think it's very real. I mean, there, uh, organizations don't work without telling people what to do. They, they just don't work. I mean, moving sport teams along, particularly in highly competitive, stressful situations, there has to be a, a telling that goes on. But it can't be exclusively that is the point, right? We've also got to then draw out of people what is it that makes them who they are, you know? And your, your example about Dan Gable was very good. It's that the time taken to approach, you know, people differently really matters. And I, I think really, really good coaches, really, really good leaders do that, know they need to do that, and, and more than that, really want to do it. I don't think, you know, this is an aside, not to get off track, but I don't think leadership works very well. It doesn't sustain if, if one is doing something that they think they should and need to do versus I really want to do it, right? I mean, as simple as it is, I understand the simplicity of, of this, that there's a big difference between I'm going to engage others because I feel that I should versus I really actually do care. This is a podcast about success through failure. What are your thoughts as it relates to leadership and how failure relates to success? Failure is an indispensable part of success because we're all going to experience it, right? And as you, you well know, is that, that you know, success is very much made up of, of failure at some point, Right. There's there's really two critical elements I would say that failure I would say can offer doesn't necessarily it really depends on you know the the individual that that can help lead to success and and that is learning and motivation I mean everybody knows the the value of failing as a motivating source leading to success, right? This is classic in the world of sport, right? We we lost in the championship game last year and it motivated us to do it this year, right? And, you know, since I deal a lot in the world of college basketball with coaches, you know, I mean, all, all of these guys are in conferences where they're playing, you know, teams twice and they're in situations where they lost the first game and they were motivated to win the second, right? So it certainly can offer that. But the learning is is critical, and I think this is a lot of what you're doing in your work as well. And it sort of undermines, un- underlies, I would say, excuse me, what we're doing together. And that is, failure is a wonderful source of learning for improvement if you can go there and extract the learning and bring it forward. And this is a really critical point. I mean, you, when you're working with people, either with someone else or yourself, right? Because many people on this podcast might be working on themselves, right? You know, you have to be very sensitive to the ability of an individual, yourself or others, to go back into failure, take what's needed to learn from that, come out of that and go forward, right? I mean, in, in, in an ideal world, if I could give someone 
an approach to failure. It would be a somewhat detached, objective, logical, rational look back at a failure, perhaps my own, where I can see it for what it was, take the learning from it, and bring the learning forward. But for a lot of people, that's not a given. I mean, they either can't go back because it's too painful, or if they go back, they'll get stuck in it, right? I mean, it is a big mistake, as, as you and I have talked about many times in the consulting world, to take someone back into an experience that was not good if then you conjure up and relive a lot of very significant emotions that then now get a person stuck in those, unable to go forward with the resources they need, right? So there really needs to be a sensitivity around if we're going to go back into failure, what's our capability to handle that? take from it what we need, get get back out of it and going forward again, right? Because the ultimate aim is to go forward. <laughs> it's not to go back and to live in failure. Failure, but can be very useful in what it can teach us if we can learn from it. And again, this goes back to the complexity of people, right? Everybody is going to come to this differently. Some people can go back and watch the film and revisit the failure and take the learning from it and move on pretty easily and quickly. And other people are going to get stuck there. I, I interviewed Michael Chandler a couple of times now on the podcast where he, he's one of the top fighters in the UFC, one of the top mixed martial artists in the world. He was a college All-American wrestler. And he said, and I quote, he said, I move forward with complete disregard for past failures, complete disregard for past failures. He approaches his next goal with complete disregard for past failures. That's not easy for a lot of people to do. That's a wonderful ability on his part. It tells you he won't get stuck in that, right? But to assume that everybody would be like that is a mistake. I think failure is a means to an end, right? Failure is not an end. It's a means to an end, provided that you can account for you know, the, the complexity in dealing with it. That's all, you know, whether it's yourself going back or helping someone else go back, right? It just, it, it requires some thought as to what we're doing so that we can get turned around and moving forward again. So. Yeah. And find a way to use it for future success. So Tom, based on everything we've talked about here today, we've covered a lot of ground for the listener who's bought in to what we've been talking about here today, the complexity of people, the different approach to leadership. What would you suggest is an action item, something someone can do to take something they learned from what we talked about here today and move forward? What's an action item you'd recommend? I think from my experience in, in this consulting world, my, my advice would be for an individual to really figure out with accuracy and sophistication who they are, how it is that they're effective at what they do and how it is that they're not, and really be able to work with that. That is not a simple know your strengths and know your weaknesses and what have you. My, my point is coming from this. The longer I go on talking to people, it is profoundly clear to me that getting older is no guarantee that one will have a very good understanding of, of who they are and, and, the, and how it is that they're good and where they trip up, etc. I, I think life can teach us more about ourselves if we look, 
But one really has to be introspective and reflective to do that. And many, many people are living their lives out in front of them with where they're going and what they're doing, right? If you have a very busy life, I mean, days are full with what I've got to do today, right? Um, many, many people are not stopping to turn inward in a very reflective and introspective way to look at, okay, connecting the dots here and what does this really mean and, and who I am and, and how is it that I'm successful and where do I keep tripping up? I mean, the fundamental, and you and I have had a lot of conversations about this. I mean, the fundamental, most significant learning from very successful people in my work is around, I would say, blind spots and what people don't see in themselves. I mean, blind spots is kind of a colloquial term that everybody throws around loosely, right? I I think really what it is accurately is, okay, as, as an individual in whatever field that you're in, you know, people are successful and they're thriving. They're trying to, to, to be successful at whatever it is that they're doing, whatever their enterprise. But with every one of us, yourself, myself included, I mean, there are ways that we shortchange ourselves, right? Inadvertently, unconsciously, unintentionally, right? It's not intentional. It's very unintentional. These are uh, mechanisms that, that are not necessarily conscious to ourselves, right? We're, we may not be aware of. And without getting a handle around that, you know, you find people who will say, well, I can't quite get there. I can't quite get over the top. I don't know why I keep sort of coming up short, right? I can't, I can't make the next step. I think for people who are trying to be successful, which, you know, we might assume that everybody listening to this podcast is trying to do that in whatever their enterprise, right? I think to have real clarity around, you know, who I am and, and what that means in terms of, you know, the, the efforts that I'm making to be successful, and particularly on the side of what I don't see in myself and how that might impact or limit my ability to be successful is a really big deal. I'm not saying this is the only focus, right? I'm just saying that, you know, because the question really is around, what, you know, what one thing might you leave someone with? I'm just saying that a lot of, of my work, and I know this undermines what, what you and I have been doing together, our, our work keeps coming back to the fact that very successful people, they don't have a problem with aspiration and motivation and drive and energy to succeed. The challenge really is in how they shortchange themselves, how they, how they trip themselves up inadvertently and unconsciously. And that's not something one can see by themselves or, or people would do something about it. So where can you get that, that help to find that and see that? Yep. Yep. It, it doesn't just happen automatically. And for the longtime listeners, you know exactly what I'm going to say. This comes down to the productive pause, the short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. And in this case, it leads to better understanding, a better understanding of who you are and how you show up to other people and how you show up as a leader. Tom, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing today. Good. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly 
with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshowjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app if you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.